You're listening to the Joyful Warrior Podcast with yours truly, Tiffany Justice. Join us as we talk about the issues that are impacting you and your family in America today. Let's get started. Hey, Joyful Warriors, this is Tiffany Justice here, and I am joined today by Natalia Marakfer. And Natalia, I met on uh, Twitter, and she started something called hashtag mask like a kid. And today she's coming on to talk to us a little bit about what that means. Um, millions of American children, and this is from their website, mask like a kid. Com. Millions of American children have been masked in school for over a year now. In some areas like New York City, masking begins with toddlers, age two, and extends all the way through college. Masking mandates in many parts of the country are stricter than anywhere in the world and require children to mask from school drop-off through after school, upwards of 10 hours a day, including during outdoor play and physical activity. With universal vaccine access, we also need clear universal off-ramps. It is long past time to restore normal school, which respects children's basic needs to unrestricted breathing, socialization, and joy. So welcome, Natalia, to the Joyful Warrior podcast, and um, we'd love to hear. How did, how did Mask Like a Kid start, and, and tell us a little bit about the pledge. Thank you so much for having me, and it's nice to speak with you, Tiffany. Um, so I was one of the original founders of Keep NYC Schools Open last year. We all came together in November at a, a fateful rally uh, in front of City Hall in Manhattan to protest our mayor's arbitrary school closure uh, guidelines, which, you know, last November, as cases were creeping up, we saw that they were about to close down our schools where our kids really needed to be. And we had seen all the data from across Europe and other parts of the country where schools had been open and were perfectly safe, as we knew schools were the safest place to be. So, you know, at the beginning, it was it was okay. We thought it was just a temporary mitigation we would mask our kids, we would show that it was safe. Uh, eventually we would take the masks off. It would just last a month, two, three months, I don't know. But by the end of last year, it was pretty clear that everyone was doubling down, at least in New York City. Uh, and then I'd speak to family across the pond in the UK and they had high schoolers who had never worn a mask in a classroom and had c almost completely normal lives. Their right. schools were open. Um, teachers didn't treat kids like pariahs. They didn't wear masks in the classrooms. They had, you know, ex their extracurriculars going normally. And it was like, why can't our kids in New York City and in California um, and in other, you know, unfortunately very blue areas like why aren't our kids being treated uh with the same level of dignity respect um as 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 kids across across the pond in the uk absolutely so, so and just to tell you even in florida for those of you that listen i'm down in florida and we had districts side by side one with forced masking and and, and forced quarantining and one without and so we were seeing in real time the fact that it really wasn't making any difference in transmission and so, you know, incredibly frustrating, right, um, to, to see some children being treated in one way and other children being allowed to thrive. Yeah, and just also this very singular focus on one pathogen as though it, that is the only concern for kids in school or outside. There are no, all other 
dangers that we previously were concerned about, drowning or other environmental exposures, nothing mattered anymore. The only thing dangerous to kids was COVID-19. But actually, the data was extremely reassuring. And we saw that even back in early 2020 with data from China that said that, strangely, kids were mostly spared unless they had, you know, pre-existing comorbid conditions. Um, by the way, uh, health-related conditions that were due to um, obesity or, you know, overweight and, and asthma and other, you know, uh, immune uh, deficiencies that could be uh, uh, traced back to, to diet and exercise, all of the things that kids aren't getting when they're socially isolating and not going to school. So it just, it, it really made me very concerned. Um, and the longer it continued, the more concerned I was. In June, uh, we got together with parents across the state and wrote a letter to Governor Cuomo saying, now is the time, unmask our kids. We really want to give our kids the opportunity to restore normalcy. But what happened instead was that they, they passed a mask mandate for the summer. So camps had to enforce mask mandates too. And anyone who lives in Europe will just laugh at us for doing this because they have never masked kids outside. So then we started to wonder why was this still continuing? Why was it going on for as long as it was? I mean, I, personally, I think it was the teachers unions. I mean, we know that they meddled in CDC guidelines when the CDC tried to restore normalcy in May after the vaccines had been widely available to adults. The teachers unions got involved and told them to tighten things up. And now, I mean, it's it's now it's been going on for like 21 months and, and really it's it's really gotten to a point of what do we do next because yeah. nothing we've tried is working absolutely and and so you have two children that are in public schools in new york city correct yes yeah and so what was last year like for them as far as even attending school was their school in session was their school remote did they were they quarantined i'm just curious just to get a feel for for what your life has been like with two children in school uh, with the exception, so we always opted in for as much in-person learning as possible because I know that virtual learning does not work. As yeah. I've said, remote school is an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. School's not just about learning facts. It's about learning how to interact and be a social um, human being. And that's not something you can do attached to a device. It's just impossible, even with the best device. So we, we, we opted in for hybrid and in our situation at last year both kids were in elementary school so that meant that they went two days a week on uh one week and alternate weeks three days a week so which is just crazy know, to me because children thrive on routine and they do and, and on the days they weren't in it was just like writhing around on the floor where are my friends and no no friends wanted to socialize indoors and especially for like my daughter who's seven now and was six then that disruption really came at a very great cost and depression and then just just a, a complete change in her sunny personality uh, which mostly has been restored this year but of course we don't know what the long-term effects of that are either um, with regard to quarantines we got lucky and our school had one 10-day closure but for the most part those two days on three days off three days on two days off were um, what they had for uh, last year up until April 26th 
when the CDC's revised three-foot distancing guidelines were adopted and elementary school students were mostly able to return full-time. So from April 26th to about June 26th, both kids had full-time in-person learning and it was incredible. Good. And, and so you speak about depression, seeing that in your six-year-old. I've seen it with my own children, especially when we saw the quarantining in Florida happening, which would be 10 days at a time out of school. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Just mm-hmm. craziness. My 16-year-old really struggled. You know, she had a, a, a pretty solid course load and she, she, you know, being out 10 days at a time with no virtual learning at all, it's like falling into a black hole. So I've seen that with my own children. Um, it's incredibly uh, difficult as a parent when the, you feel helpless, like you can't, there's nothing you can do to really help them to pull out of that because you recognize school has been an important part of their life and they love being around their friends. So when your kids were in school, um, and when kid, in, in, in Florida now we have masking is optional, but tell me, what is the pledge to mask like a kid? What is it really like to wear a mask like a kid in America today? It's, thanks for asking. I mean, I, I am, first of all, I don't know that any adult can really truly explain that because we all, and I can say this unequivocally, we all had unmasked normal childhoods. You know, we all have our scars from childhood, but we all were able to to, to breathe unrestricted, run around, not be expected to cover our faces, and also not have the faces that we look at for hours and hours a day erased off, you know, off our our visible plane. So I, I can't even tell you what it's like to mask like kid because I am not a kid. I don't run around. I sit at a desk most of the day. So if I have to wear a mask for a day, as uncomfortable as it is, I'm still not interacting or developing in the same way that my seven or my 11 or two-year-old who's masked all day and daycare is. But I can tell you this, there is no adult that masks like a kid because kids have to, they, they are policed. They're rigorously policed. The younger they are, the more restrictive the rules. Uh, they don't have mask breaks in New York City. They wear a mask from drop-off and some parents have them wear the mask from the minute they leave the apartment, even as they're walking to school. So they don't even have a minute of unrestricted breath outside. So they're masked from from drop-off to pick-up. So if that is, you know, at 8 o'clock that the kid gets dropped off and gets picked up at 5 or 6 for after school, that's 10 hours, maybe more. Um, there's also a mask mandate on the public transit public transit. So if the child is either on a school bus or on the MTA bus or or subway service, they're also required to be masked on there. And that includes two, three, four, five-year-olds. It doesn't matter how old they are. Um, And the only time they get a mask break, at least in the public schools that really enforce this, is during their 20 minutes for lunch. Uh, They even have to wear a mask during gym. They have to wear a mask uh, during recess. And for my kids, when they've done gymnastics extracurricularly or soccer, if it's indoors, they have to wear a mask for that as well. So they literally never have their faces exposed except, you know, when they're at home or outside with, you know, parents. But I, I see kids who, who mask at the playground too with, with their parents or sometimes their parents don't wear the mask and the kids do. And then you hear parents saying, but they like it. They don't mind it. And they never really seem to ask, is it normal? Is it okay for kids to want to have their faces covered for, for any part of the day? I don't think it is. 
Well, and and no, and I, I have to agree with you. Um, I think that what we've seen, the, the harms of masking, um, I think we've seen them up close and personal, and we're seeing some of them right now, and I think long-term we're going to see other effects. Um, and I think the learning part of it is, is just one facet, um, but an important part. Um, the kids are compliant at school. We teach our children to be compliant, right? Pay attention, right. listen to your the teacher. The younger, the better. Right. The younger, the, the more compliant they are. And so, um, you know, getting yelled at every time your mask falls below your nose or being punished, I saw something that was like a little credit system. This teacher had an app and she sent it to parents. Did you see that? And it was no. like, you know, minus two points because the child's mask oh. had fallen below the nose, but plus one point because the child had listened. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine uh, being uh, a kindergartner, first grade, second grade, third grade, and, and having that type of tally being kept on me all day long. Um, and, the, and the kids police each other too. So it's created these crazy divisions amongst kids who are like, pull your mask up. You know, there's a dangerous pathogen. Uh, and and it's, it's, like, it's, it's insane. Instead of creating stronger bonds among children and between their teachers I mean, teachers are mentors their first you know mandated responders teachers are so much um, so much important stuff in, in a young kid's life we're creating this barrier to socialization and development and uh, and and it really I think we won't see the the full effects of this for for years I mean we'll see different you know ripples but this is truly an adverse childhood experience um, aces are wildly predictive of later health outcomes and you know there are checklists you can you can kind of look and see how many aces a kid has and it and can correlate to whether they end up in jail or whether they end up addicted to drugs or painkillers so I think this is a huge ace for for the kids you know, in this country, and especially in the blue areas where, unfortunately, they've been more restricted than their friends just across the border. I totally agree with you. And so what I would say is if you want to mask like a kid, if you're listening to this podcast and you're and you decide you want to mask like a kid, that means that mask on your face for hours, eight hours, whole day, um, no breaks, um, hashtag mask like a kid, put it up on social media, tell us what it feels like. Um, and I, but I agree with you, Natalia. I don't think that, you know, even as an adult, we can really replicate what it feels like to be a child um, and masking. And I think that's one of the things with COVID in general that's been frustrating. I look at some of these adults and I'm like, you know, 32 to 33 is different than two to three. And mm -hmm. 46 to 47 is different than 16 to 17. And, you know, how have we forgotten that, right? Um, in America, I've, it, it has just shocked me time and time again that we have shouldered our children with the burden of, of trying to keep adults safe. Because as you mentioned, COVID just has not been dangerous for children. Thank God it has spared many children, and it, you know, compared to the way it has affected other subgroups in America. Um, so you see someone like Leanna Wen, who's a doctor. She's very active on Twitter, very pro-mask, uh, pro-vaccine, I guess. But she just came out recently, and she said that cloth masks were little more than facial decoration. Did you see that? I did see that, and we've known that for a long time, except, you know, with eyeshadow or lipstick, you can 
opt in or opt out depends on how you're feeling that morning but with masks they're either wearing a mask or they're not coming into school so this facial decoration is 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 a mandatory you know permanent tattoo yeah and so where do we go from here right so we have someone who in general has been supportive of masking coming out on cnn and saying that masks are little more than facial decoration you if you listen to the podcast you've heard me speak before masks are not source control they do not stop transmission children not do not wear masks masks in school with any type of fidelity so that it would actually, if there was a mask that did work, I mean, you know, kids take them off, they put, you know, they fall off, they eat, they get wet, right? So even if they were to work the way that a a small child wears it, it doesn't. Um, And we really didn't look at other mitigation strategies. Masking was kind of the blanket, right, strategy that was used across the board. So where do we go from here as a country with, um, I mean, are children masked for forever, Natalia? Yeah, they're still masking uh, in every single school (laughs) across New York State while our governor is partying over and over again with no mask on, with with impunity. I mean, every single social media clip that you see of our governor, uh, she's, you know, she's addressing the press, she's at a party, she's at a benefit, she's, you know, having the time of her life and has no no problem with with having two-year-olds who are literally still losing teeth um, wear a mask from morning to night and, and, and making these poor daycare providers, the policemen, like whoever policed two-year-olds Oh, I before. can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine trying to get a, a, a group of two-year-olds to keep their masks on um, the entire day. It must be uh, incredibly frustrating. No, no wonder our teachers are stressed out. I keep hearing teachers are stressed. And, you know, if they could focus on letting, if we could fo- let teachers focus on teaching, right, instead of being the yeah. mask police, um, you know, perhaps teachers wouldn't feel as stressed. Um, so, you know. But they're, get, they're getting a lot of scary messaging from their unions. Um, nobody is the adult in the room here saying, hello, you know, we have every treatment we could possibly imagine. There's a new antiviral pill that was just approved uh, by Pfizer just the other day. I think yesterday we have many life-saving vaccines that really we need to be focusing on vaccinating the elderly at risk population. Leave the kids alone. Like, why aren't we celebrating the fact that kids are largely spared by the virus? And also something I've pointed out multiple times is we are losing the trust of the of the of the community. Like when the public health community actually comes out and there's there's a real true threat to kids at some point when the next pandemic comes. I don't know who's going to be listening to them. They've been yelling fire in a crowded movie theater for a long time. Yeah. We're immune. We're immune to it at this point. I mean, I I don't know how to triangulate half the time. No, and Experts. well, and you know, you know, in schools in general, things are very regulated normally, <laughs> but masks mm-hmm. for adults and children. I mean, for teachers to be forced to wear cloth masks and for you know the masks to not be um, what they need to be in order to be able to stop transmission from COVID, um, you know, that's never been addressed. And I've always wondered why the teachers' unions or the teachers in general are not looking to the unions to say, you know, the mask that you're requiring me to wear is not a mask that actually provides protection um, and. Um, I I think long term, when you talk about um, the confidence of people, um, I I think that's an important part, right? That that here we are, we have a a, a particulate that is smaller than um, than um, 
now my mind just went blank. I'm sorry, an asbestos particle. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you were exposed to asbestos, a surgical mask would never be um, right. the option that would be chosen for you. Um, so right. just very interesting. And I, I don't disagree with you about the confidence piece of it. Um, so you have a petition, uh, make masks optional in all New York schools. And I saw that you just relaunched it. So could you maybe share a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I know that there are many petitions across the country. Um, I, I really hadn't seen one in New York State, and it doesn't seem like our governor is planning to change anything in the new year. So I've been reading, you know, Joseph Allen, the epidemiologist at Harvard's pieces, and he has confirmed, you know, in two separate um, op-eds this past week, one in the Washington Post and one in the New York Times, that it's beyond the time to unmask kids and that kids have almost no risk from the virus and that if parents are feeling super anxious about their own kids, it's a personal choice and they can just opt for putting their own kids in a, in a high, you know, uh, what is it, like a high efficiency, uh, stronger um, KN95, KN94 mask, but that would have to be an optional thing that we, we could no longer um, compel parents to do it. So uh, we put together a petition, we modeled it on a petition that um, was already quite successful in Massachusetts. We've been talking to parents across the country. We're no longer siloed. Everybody talks to each other all the time and put together this really very strong petition and put it on um, Care Care 2, which is the petition site. It got 500 signatures in just a couple of days. And then the the next morning, I got a message from somebody on Twitter saying the page has been taken down, which was shocking because there was nothing inflammatory. And it was really just echoing op-eds in in very mainstream newspapers. And so I I emailed Care2. I've had members of the press reach out to them. They have given us no reason for removing the petition. Um, It's gone. And I wasn't able to get the email addresses of all the people who signed, so I couldn't ask them to sign again. Um, and so we relaunched uh, a petition on uh, iPetitions, which is a different website. We're hoping that it'll stay up there and that we get, you know, we replicate the signatures and grow it even more. And, and what it's calling for is optional masking in, uh, in New York State schools on January 3rd when we are scheduled to return. Yeah, and I'm looking at it right now. So if you go to ipetitions.com, you can look at, for the uh, petition. It's called Make Masks Optional in All New York Schools on January 3rd, 2022. And um, just quickly, it says, we, the undersigned residents, students, teachers, parents, grandparents, caregivers, and concerned citizens of New York, urge state leaders to end the school mask mandate on January 3rd, 2022, making masking optional for all students, teachers, and staff, regardless of vaccination status. Furthermore, local districts should not have the authority to require masking for its students, teachers, or staff, Given clear learning and educational impacts of prolonged masking, state leaders must hold schools accountable for continuing restrictions that disrupt student learning. And then you go on to mention that, you know, the mask optional approach allows students the ability to see emotions, hear language, and experience connection. And just to go back to what we started talking about at the beginning, this idea of children not being able to see each other's faces, right? Not being able to see smiles, not being able to learn um, and, and kind of how to communicate with each other. Um, what the long-term effects of that, I think, um, are, are going to be horrendous, um, 
coupling that with some of the learning loss um, that I think has has to have happened, right? Um, mm. and, and you and I have discussed a little bit, you have a background in nutrition, right? And food studies. Food yeah. studies. Yeah. So yeah, you have yes. a background in food studies. And so, you know, one of the things that we haven't heard anyone talking about, and, and it's always surprising to me, I look at the CDC and, you know, the White House and think, is anyone going to talk about, you know, health, children's health? What does it mean to be a healthy child? You know, I'm not really thrilled with this idea of, you know, asymptomatic testing. I don't want my child living in fear constantly that they may be sick, even though they feel well. And, you know, how do we continue to boost our, our children's immune systems? And I know diet is a big part of that. Yeah, diet and activity. Uh, I think it's, you, we all, you know, there, there's a book called I Contain Multitudes by uh, the science writer uh, Ed Young, who writes for The Atlantic. But it's true. Uh, our bodies are a complex interplay of various bacteria, viruses, benign pathogens. We're very complicated creatures and we've evolved um, over the years, uh, but but our needs remain. We need to be, you know, exposed to sunlight. We need to interact with people and and share ideas and share meals together. We need to eat healthy, unprocessed food that um, that is close to the ground and 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 as unprocessed as possible. And we know, I mean, from my background in food studies, it's always been the cheapest, uh, most processed junk that's always most readily available to to children. Um, so that's kind of an ongoing issue. I mean, food politics is very messy and, and, and in some ways is very similar to what we're dealing with now, where like the youngest consumers are the ones that are always the most targeted and are, are most uh, uh, at risk. But um, we need to focus more on um, building a foundation of healthy eating. You know, when Michelle Obama was uh, was was in charge of the Healthy Eating Initiative and really founded um, you know, the Let's Move program, that was really important. We don't have anything like that happening right now. Um, educating kids about what's good to eat, what's, you know, a, a, an occasional food, something along the lines of a, you know, a food pyramid. Um, and, and by the way, I think the food pyramid could easily be adapted into a mitigation period, pyramid for COVID as well. I mean, so I have all- a friend, I'll interrupt for a second, Megan Mansell, if, if anyone follows her, she goes by Mamasaurus Meg on Twitter. Yeah. And she has she has done the pyramid with COVID mitigation. I think it's called, she, oh. she wrote a piece for Rational Ground. It's co- called Goldilocks and the Four Tiers of Mitigation, I believe. And oh. um, I will forward that to you. But if anyone's interested okay. in looking at that, you know, lots of ideas on how we can uh, create strategies uh, for stopping transmission of COVID in schools that don't require masking. Masking was the most restrictive um, mitigation strategy that we could have taken in many ways. So, And pushing it, pushing, pushing and pushing. But um, yeah, I mean, if, if we could create a, a generation of healthier kids, they would be better prepared for when the next pandemic comes around and, you know, pushing them forward f- further into the virtual world and devices and, you know, armchair, you know, surfing is not the solution. We need to get kids outside. I mean, in New York City, beyond the restrictions on schools, extracurriculars, especially in public schools, are so crippled 
that, you know, many kids are not even doing it anymore. They're just getting heavier and, and you know, uh, diabetic on their couches. Kids who used to be playing football or basketball or tennis or track because, you know, the, the cost of entry is so high. They either need to be fully vaccinated or tested and be vaccinated. They need to mask while they're playing basketball, things that are not uh, required of adults. I mean, that's kind of what Mask Like a Kid is about, too, the hypocrisy that adults are unwilling to put themselves through what they are happy to put kids through out of sight, out of mind once they're dropped off at school. Right, that bars are open, but schools are closed, right? We saw that all over the country. And that's still happening. I mean, it's still happening. It didn't really change. I mean, that's that's still going on right now. Adults are filling, you know, restaurants and bars in New York City. But I know of so many classrooms that are closed with asymptomatic kids who are now stuck. You know, what are they doing? I don't know. They're on their iPads, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, in the long term ramifications for us as a country with all of these children with health issues as adults, I mean, I don't, I, I, has that, has that cost benefit analysis gone? I mean, it, you know, you, you see people like Martin Kolderoff and Jay Bhattacharya speaking about these things, but, um, you know, it's just a matter of when does it get to CNN, right? When do we get the Leanna Wen comment of, you know, masks or facial decoration? Is that, and then once that declaration is made, how how do we collectively as parents say, okay, now everyone's agreeing this is something that shouldn't be happening. How do we stop it, right? And so, you know, I love what you're doing. I'm so glad that we've been able to talk today. Um, I think it's so important that we as parents connect across the country. I think what you said before, you know, we're not in silos anymore, right? We, we are mm-hmm. communicating with each other. Um, you know, I know they're fighting really, really hard in California against K-12 through vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And yep. so and, and we saw a little progress with that with Los Angeles schools. Right. And yep. so, um, you know, again, embracing the fact that COVID um, has not been uh, as dangerous to children um, as it has to other subgroups of our country and really letting our children breathe again. And so as we close out 2021, it's crazy to think we're entering the third <laughs> year of this COVID pandemic with children masks still. But as we close out 2021 into 2022, um, Natalia, just tell us what can we do to help you, um, and to help parents around the country to get these masks off the kids, any closing comments and, and ideas that you think we can work on? I think, well, number one, I think it's important to talk to other parents because, you know, on Twitter, I've often heard, you know, the problem is parents, the problem is parents. And it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree that parents are not advocating for their kids as they should be, but parents are also overwhelmed and are getting really conflicting messages and don't know who to trust. And I think parents really, um, trust each other and talk to each other, you know, pick up a drop off. You have so many opportunities to share data and reliable sources that all kind of say, you know, it's time. So I think number one, just having conversations, you know, in a calm and, um, you know, gracious manner, not argumentative. Like it's, it's great to hear, you know, what other parents say, but also to share what you know. But I found that social media has been very effective at drawing, you know, press uh, and other attention um, and also connecting parents to each other. So if you don't have a Twitter handle, I think it's, it's a great idea to get one and to know 
who's important and who to tag in your district or in your city or your state and, you know, find people to follow that are science and evidence based, not alarmists and keep sharing their data. Uh, Tracy Hogue at, um, uh, in California, who's who's done an incredible amount of research on masking, is a really great non-politicized person to follow. Um, Joseph Allen at Harvard has been really on target, especially in the last couple of months. Um, Monica Gandhi at UCSF. Uh, Jay Bhattacharya is fantastic and unfortunately has really suffered from, from the politicization of his of his really great work, but um, people like David Zweig, his articles in The Atlantic and New York Magazine um, really provide comprehensive data and almost like meta-analyses of the masking uh, studies. And, and both of those publications are extremely mainstream, so people will actually take a look at them and, and, and consider them. So I think that's really one great way to do it, but also just not to be silent. Um, just the other day, another parent here in New York City had received some very disappointing news from her middle school where they were requiring unvaccinated students to be tested every single day prior to admission to school. Oh, my goodness. And she said, I can't be quiet anymore. Like, normally I like to be anonymous and not really cause waves, but this time I'm going to say something. And she went on to social media and she shared it with all of us. We tagged the press. It, there was an article in the Post about it yesterday. The district superintendent called her and apologized and said that that policy would immediately be retracted. And the principal was was forced to send an apology letter to all the the, the parents. Wow. So you know, if you I guess the, what what we see on the New York City subways is if you see something, say something. Like you must, if you want to change things, you have to be the change, and you do have to take a little bit of risk. I mean, there's there's ways to do it. I try not to get my kids' schools involved too directly unless I really really have to. You can advocate, you know, in a way that makes you feel comfortable and doesn't compromise, you know, your personal comfort. No, absolutely. And so, you know, at Moms for Liberty, we have chapters across the country and we encourage our moms to build relationships with school districts and superintendents so that they can have those conversations, right? So they can bring the data, so they can show the articles and they can share them in a way and say, can we have a conversation about this? I understand that your intention is to keep children safe in school, but there are some things that are happening to kids because of your efforts that we're concerned about as parents, right? right and right. I think it's important to build those relationships and to be able to have those conversations. Um, you know, the mask is a, is a very uh, physical representation um, that we, you know, that we're dealing with every day of, uh, in my opinion, parents being removed from that decision-making process for their children when they're at school and directing Mm -hmm. their upbringing and their medical care. Um, So I I think this is an important moment uh, for schools and parents to try to come together and uh, make the best decisions for children. Um, So thank you for coming on today, Natalia. If you want to follow Natalia on Twitter, it's at apple to zucchini. That is right, apple to zucchini. Mm -hmm. And... um, if you want to mask like a kid and show us and tell us what it feels like, feel free to do that. You just do hashtag mask like a kid. Natalia, thank you so much for your time. And um, if there's anything that we can continue to do to help in New York, we will try to do that. Thank you very much. Next up, we're going to answer questions from all of you joyful warriors around the country. Today, we're going to switch it up. 
We have Tina Deskovich with us. She is the co-founder of Moms for Liberty. And in the great tradition of Festivus, which is today, uh, Tina has a list of grievances that we've come up with that she's going to share. So Tina, welcome to the Joyful Warrior Podcast. Welcome back. And uh, happy Festivus to you. Happy Festivus. Festivus for the rest of us. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's been a wild year, hasn't it? And in 2022, I think we're going to be able to, you know, talk about all of the great things that we're looking forward to. But I think it's it's fair. 2021 has been uh, quite the year. And I think it's fair to list some grievances. So hit me with some of the hit me with some of your best ones. Yeah. So we listed out quite a few and we narrowed it down to our top six. Um, no particular order, but number one that I uh, posted today was our number one grievances with Facebook. <laughs> and that's yeah. just because it's the most recent grievous, grievance. They recently removed uh, 23, actually, since I posted that an hour ago, 24 of our chapter groups. Uh, you know, we're trying to figure out what's happening with that, why they removed them, if we can get them restored. But it, it's definitely frustrating. So it's that's really our interesting. number one grievance. I've seen a lot of holiday parade photos. So I, I don't know how holiday parade photos might violate community standards, but I look forward to learning more. Okay, what's number two? Oh, number two is definitely a little bit of a silly one, but we keep seeing in national media and people and even in our comments all the time saying that we are... Uh, that we're, we're funded by the Koch brothers. That I had to Google them. I didn't even know who they were. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> Our number two grievance is with the Koch brothers because even though we, you know, media everywhere says that they are funding us, we are still waiting on a check for them. So yeah. Is this the dark money? Check. Please send money. Um, it's so <laughs> funny. Is this the dark money? Astro- the first time I saw AstroTurf, I was like, what the heck is that? And apparently that means fake grassroots. I can assure you, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing fake about us. Next one, Tina. Number three, we're going to give that one to Merrick Gardland for, yeah, for, you know, trying to intimidate and scare parents this year, the national terrorist hotline, all of the things that he has done. Um, we're going to air our grievance towards him. But on the flip side, it really hasn't had the desired effect because we have grown to 70,000 members and they know they have a right to speak up and it hasn't slowed them down a bit. Nope. Moms are embracing what's best about democracy. All right. It's number four. Number four is my personal favorite. <laughs> it is uh, the hate mail writers. So it's all of those people. <laughs> that, that have been what sending. hate mail? What are you talking about? Yeah, the email, the private messages, the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter messages. Uh, this one goes out to you. And uh, so we put on there that although you keep insisting we go bleep, ourselves we can't figure out how to because the book depicting how to do that was removed from your local school library (laughs) that's a good one that is a good one I never anticipated I mean you know when we served on school board there was certainly you know our share of like you know we get nasty comments once in a while and and, you know we we both dealt with different issues but some of the hate mail is just the worst it's like to you know us and then it's from bleep and then it's the whole thing is just curse words the whole time the whole all those all those there's a lot of money that should be going into the tina deskovich swear jar oh yes i do agree with that 100 <laughs> and then you know it's that's the the you know the part we can kind of let roll because it's so absurd but right. the the threats against our family and our children you know that's the unfortunate side but we're not going to discuss that because we're here just to air our grievances for festivus festivus today. yes Okay, what number are we on? We are up to number five. We have two more. 
Okay, number five. Let's hear it. The National Education Association. And we could have a whole list of grievances just for them. But the one we picked today is because they take hardworking teachers' money, their salary, and they use it to fight against us for fighting for our children. And so uh, we threw a little comment in there saying, I bet they're going to miss those funds when they're trying to uh, back their school board candidates in the midterms. I bet they are. You were absolutely right. But I think teachers are getting smart. I think teachers realize that the dues that they're paying to the unions uh, is not being used to uh, support them and their mission in educating kids in school. So that's one of my hopes for 2022. More teachers join us in this journey to reclaim education in America. Yes, I think that teachers are definitely moving in that direction. And number six, drum roll. Number six is all of the school board tyrants out there. And basically every day is festivist for you. So <laughs> school board tyrants, you know, we have a whole year worth of, um, of uh, grievances that our members have been getting up in front of them or trying to in some places or calling in or zooming in and, and letting them know their grievances. So we've shared some of the highlight clips of the year of our moms really standing up for some of the most um, the most important causes when it comes to their children. So that's our list. That's our top six list of grievances for, for 2021 on this Festivus holiday. Happy Festivus to you. Do you have any Christmas message you'd like to send to all of our listeners, Tina? Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, you know, as this year winds up, it's our first year uh, that we've been together and uh, working towards the same goal. And I'm just so proud of all of our moms out there, all of our parents and all those that have really found their voice and have decided to be brave and stand up for their children. I think that during this Christmas season and during this holiday season, I hope you take the time, take a break. It's this hard work. It's exhausting work. Now's the time to really enjoy your family and get re-energized because we've got 2022 right around the corner. So I want you to take your own advice and take a break too over this Christmas uh, holiday, you've been working very hard. I think we've made tremendous progress in 2021 and uh, just really excited for 2022 and uh, the year of the parrot at the ballot box. We're going to make some changes in America. I will do that. Today is the 23rd. I'm tomorrow and Christmas Day for sure going to be just focusing on, on family. So I awesome. hope you have a Merry Christmas with your family. Uh, Merry Christmas to you too. Thanks for coming on today, Tina. Of course. Next up, we chat with Pat, Chapter Chair Coordinator for Moms for Liberty across the United States of America. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, Chat with Pat, and I think she has a little Christmas surprise up her sleeve. Pat Blackburn, how are you today? Merry Christmas, my friend. I am doing well The presents are getting wrapped finally. I think I see the light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) Good, good. (laughs) But I'm doing great. Good. And, and, uh, you know, there's something about the Christmas spirit. I'm just so grateful. Um, This year is just um, special, a special time because of, you know, all the parents that we have now joining us in this. in this push to bring our schools to a better place. And I'm just so grateful and happy. And I'm just filled with this 
joyous spirit and <laughs> and I the the muse hit me this week and I wrote a little poem. Okay, so I have like to tell to you I'm ready for this poem. I need some good news and I, we need you know I just it, it, the first part of this podcast if you if you're listening now and you listen to the first part we spoke to um, Natalia uh, from New York City and she started a campaign called Mask Like a Kid. And it was about masking and Pat. They are still masking these kids all day long in school in so many places across the country. And so, you know, my Christmas wish this year is that we get the masks off of these kids. But I could use, um, I could use some fun and enjoyment. So um, let's hear this poem. I'm excited. Okay. Well, and I apologize. I'm going to apologize at the at first. Because <laughs> you can't apologize may, before you even start. Yeah, I can. Because um, sometimes it, it, it may come off a little corny because it's like the night before Christmas. Oh. Um, but my, you know, I, I think it's cute and I hope everybody enjoys it. Your okay, corniness so is part of why I love you so much. So let's hear it. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Twas the night before school board. "'Twas the night before school board and all through the county. Moms and dads were planning on who could babysit Johnny. For school board meetings have become a most important affair. All the decision makers are going to be there. There's school board members, the superintendent, his staff, and the committees they head. The teachers union wearing shirts of red. We're the experts, they said. You parents should all be in bed. (laughs) <laughs> to my wondering eyes will appear but moms for liberty in blue shirts and without fear you thought we were asleep we'll say we but we are awake and our seat we will take <laughs> we love our children better than you you've gone too far and now we're alarmed by now you should know who we are we are joyful warriors smart loving and kind but be not mistaken. Mess with our kids and you'll find we are determined, fierce, and true. We will not be discouraged, bullied, or heed your ridicule. So, as we tuck Johnny into bed, visions of the future dancing in our heads, we see America, the red, white, and blue, and look forward to the year of the parent, 2022. That is an awesome ending. That was very cute. Thank you for thank you for writing that and sharing that with us. It was a little corny at times. I'm not gonna. You got me. You got you. I'm smiling now. So that's awesome. And you're right. 2022 is the year of the parent, um, and we are going to uh, rise up all across America and reclaim this country so that our children um, have bright futures. And um, so that was a great way to end that, Pat. I hope that you have a wonderful Christmas with your family um, and a very oh, happy you. new year. And uh, we will talk to you again in 2022 and share some of the plans that we have for our chapters. Um, yes. Merry Christmas and happy new year to you as well. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, everyone. We're going to close out today uh, with that wonderful poem. And uh, I hope you all have uh, a wonderful time with your families. Thank you. As always, we want to thank Pat Blackburn for her effort supporting Joyful Warriors around the country. And that's going to do it for this week's Joyful Warrior podcast. Join us next time. United we stand, our children, our choice, our future.